You're listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Crawford. In this episode, I interview Emerald Water Anglers founder, Dave McCoy, and we talk about everything from environmental threats to our fisheries, to the business case for sustainability, and how Emerald Water Anglers is going carbon neutral. This is also a really exciting episode because I am pleased to announce that Emerger Strategies is forming a fly fishing climate alliance amongst shops, guides, lodges, and brands, uh, making the commitment to go carbon neutral by 2030. And Emerald Water Anglers was one of the first to sign up. So uh, kudos to Dave and hope you enjoy this episode. This episode of The Sustainable Angler is brought to you by Emerger Strategies, a sustainable business consultancy whose mission is to solve the climate crisis by helping your business go carbon neutral. To learn more, visit EmergerStrategies.com. So Dave, I wanted to get things kicked off uh, with a little bit of background just on you and I'll I'll let you run with that. Sure. Um, I grew up in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, My dad was a a teacher and drugged me around as his fly fishing partner for the better part of every summer from the time I was in diapers on. And... um, you know, I, I I had the luxury of traipsing around some some fairly notorious uh, namesake rivers like the North Umpqua and the Deschutes and the Mackenzie and stuff like that. So I I was I, had, I was infused with fly fishing, unbeknownst to me, um, at a fairly young age. And my and I, I believe to this day that it's it actually formed a rung on my DNA ladder. Um, I don't (laughs) think I could, I don't think I could, I could shrug this off if I wanted to. So, um, started ski race coaching, uh, while I was living in Oregon and, uh, moved to Colorado, guided down there for a number of years out of Telluride and Vail. And, um, and then basically my girlfriend, now wife at the time, and I decided that Seattle was our next destination to adventure off to. And, and here we sit today, 20 some years later. So that, well, that's the brief of it. Uh, that's super cool. Yeah. I've, uh, my wife and I, I had an opportunity to visit Seattle a few years ago and uh, we, we got out for a day and, and fished the Deschutes and it was the only time I fished in, in that corner of the world and just so beautiful out there. Really, really unique. Um, and, and, the, and the fishery and the scenery is super cool. Um, Definitely different than where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Way, way different than, than Charleston. Uh, but that's a beautiful part of the part of the world. Um, well, cool. Well, so, so you moved to Seattle, did you go there with the intent of starting a fly shop or what, 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 what was the, uh, the draw? Well, I mean, the, the funniest part about it was, I think, you know, my wife would probably debate this a little bit or, push push back a little bit but i when we moved to seattle it was really because we needed to get a little closer to family but also my wife wanted to kind of start a career and so we looked at denver and we briefly pondered the bay area but seattle was close we had family here and um prior to moving here i stopped by a few of the fly shops on a visit and tried to drop off a guide resume and, and, um, was basically laughed out of each and every one of the stores because that just didn't exist in Seattle. When I moved here, there was no guide service here. There were individual guides, um, that all ran themselves as an, an autonomous, you know, entity didn't 
like partner with other people or anything like that, so to speak. Um, I was told that this area didn't possess anything that would render it a destination fishery that would warrant people looking at Seattle as a place to travel to, to fly fish. And that really, really blew my mind. I, I just, I, I just, I, I didn't understand it. Um, especially having not lived here yet and having there be so much water, I couldn't figure out why that wasn't, there wasn't guide services everywhere. So the reality of it is that I figured, you know, when we left Telluride, um, my wife named the company with our friend, Julie, and, uh, Julie was, and still is a web designer. And as a going away gift built my, built my first website. And I was fortunate enough to land a job at REI kind of running the fly shop there, uh, for about a year when they had it. And (laughs) the, uh, I really, I, what I'm getting around to saying is that I figured now my wife was going to give me about a year to sort of play in this game a little bit still before I had to get a real job. Right, right, right. And you know, I remember when that early website was up, REI had floor computers that had access to the dial up internet. And, um, I would, I would go over and show people our website for, you know, for our guide service when they came into the shop in REI and I'd come home that night. And I remember saying to my wife one day, Holy crap, look at that. And she says, what said, we had 13 visitors to the website today. <laughs> Five of which were me at REI, but you know, <laughs> right. there were, there were sing, there were above one hand counted visit, unique visitors. To the website. Right. We're and, moving up. Uh, <laughs> that's what I said. I was like, this is going to take off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow she gave me a long enough leash to make it legitimate enough and here we are today. So no, I didn't intend to f- open a fly shop. I didn't want to. Um, but through the experiences locally, um, I just kind of was forced to almost. So, and so when people are, are coming to, um, Seattle for, for destination, for destination fishing, what are they, are they primarily coming there to steelhead or what's the, the well, uh, yeah, I think I think steelhead are are certainly a huge draw. Probably still, and ironically today, the largest draw because it is Washington State fish. Yeah, uh, people in other parts of the world believe you can still walk across the backs of these fish on all of our rivers. Um, but the reality is, and why I say ironically, they're depleted horribly in this area, and in many places we're at below 5% of historical return size. So the fact that they still are the largest draw to this region for anglers and yet are the, are, are so depressed is that's a whole other podcast, Rick. Sorry. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're essentially going to catch a unicorn if you go to Seattle. Yeah. Um, yes. <clears throat> interesting. Well, what it, so I also see that, um, or have seen on your site and, and everything that y'all do quite a bit, or I won't say quite a bit, you have a lot of options for people to travel and fly fish, which leads me to believe that you have traveled extensively to fly fish. Um, what are maybe some of your favorite places that you fished around the world? Oh, you know, that's, as you might imagine, that's a, that's a question that I get a lot. Sure. Uh, sure. And, and I, you know, before I leave Seattle, I would say that one of the things that when I started my business here that I immediately embraced, and I think being in Colorado for this, was the innumerable small freestone streams in the Cascades that there are to fish here. That when I first moved here, there wasn't but a handful of people paying attention to any of them, period. Uh, they They really are the uh, fly fishing lottery winner that Washington is holding because there's tons of them. The majority of the 
sprout in them are wild fish, native fish sometimes have never had access or exposure to anything man-made as far as another fish species goes. The scenery is utterly out of this world. Um, dry fly fishing the majority of the summer, old growth forest on all sides of you. Wow. It just, I mean, there's photos on our site where people will ask if I've taken a New Zealand shot and put it on our Seattle page. No um, kidding. Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. And then we have Puget Sound, which is my, like I posted on Instagram this morning, is my, what I kind of consider my home water. It's what really sealed the deal for me here, uh, being that it's year round and it's just such a unique fishery to, to um, ply a, ply with a fly line because fly fishing for cutthroat trout and saltwater just doesn't happen any, in very many other places on the planet. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, and it's gorgeous. So back to your question, um, my personal take on it is I, I consider myself to have a little bit of ADD on, on, uh, traveling to fly fish. Okay. And my favorite place that I've ever fly fished around the world is probably someplace I haven't fished yet. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> uh, Every place I've been has been fabulous. And yeah, I've been right. to about 40 countries in the last seven or eight years. So, Wow. And I mean, you know, and that, and that for me, I mean, I haven't traveled that much, but um, just getting to to travel in and of itself is part of the fun, you know, if not the fun, you know, the, the excitement, the preparation, new places, new people, new food, new experiences. And then you throw in some fishing and it winds up being a, a guaranteed good time. So, um, yeah, yeah I mean, I always tell people that really the, the nine foot long graphite pole and the, I said pole intentionally, um, <laughs> uh, and the fish really are just this little tiny catalyst for what ends up being a, a lifelong memory that you create. And when I sit around with the guys I travel with and we talk about all the places that we've been together, it is, and maybe it's just because of the people I surround myself with, but it, it, really is rare that we're talking about a fish when we're laughing over beers over the travels that we've done it's it's usually more about breaking my toe in cuba um playing soccer in the street at night or <laughs> going over the handlebars on a bike and art bicycle in argentina uh, <laughs> in the i mean it's, it, there's so many other things that that uh that end up occupying the space when we talk about trips that we've done that the fish really are just the the reason yep no i love that um all right so to 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 shift gears just just a little bit because um you've been guiding it sounds like for over 20 years um you've traveled extensively and you obviously know you're your home waters there in Seattle pretty well or very well, I should say. Um, what, you know, and this is a loaded question. So, but what are you seeing or what have you seen, um, that you see or, or that you think might be, um, some of the biggest environmental threat or threats to, to our fisheries here um, on the planet um, or in your, or in your neck of the woods, either one. And again, super loaded question. A lot of different ways you can go with this. Yeah. Jeez. Um, huh. I don't know if I've ever had it actually phrased that way before. Usually it's more specifically about a particular species of fish or a particular fishery. Um, if I start close to home, I would say that we're still battling currently, um, in the age of taking dams down yep. for the rest of the world that'll listen to this, they're still trying to build dams out here. So we've got a dam trying to be built on the Chehalis river currently, uh, that we're trying to not have happen. 
over overfishing um water quality uh, is a is probably one of the biggest ones and that yeah. probably you know is more globally approachable just because the, there's just no way around it rick you know this the the planet's at 8 billion people it's yeah. going to be i dare say over 10 or 12 by the time I get ready to start pushing daisies up. There's just, we just have to be better as a, as a species at looking at water as the vitality of our life. Cause it is and right. not a garbage, you know, a garbage dump, which we still treat it as in so many ways. So, um, yeah, there's that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, land use, uh, surrounding those watersheds, Yep. I'm already exhausted just thinking about it. <laughs> well, well, what's interesting, and, and I and I sort of leave that open-ended on purpose because it's 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 interesting to to hear people's responses and yours in particular. What I what I hear, um, which is very true, is how interconnected it all is, right from your home water to the planet, right? So there's global population, you could call it explosion, um, but there's also the land and the, and the water, right? And so you got to take care of the land, you have to take care of the water, especially when there's that many people. And when there's that many people on the planet, then you're starting to talk about resource conservation ultimately. Um, and so I, I, I like that answer in that it's, maybe inadvertently you, you did uh, um, a, a great job of, of framing out how interconnected this all is. And we're all, we're all in this together. Yeah. I mean, I, you, as you were speaking, I, I kind of came to my, my conclusion on that. And it, it stems from guiding local waters, uh, Puget Sound in particular, um, you know, Puget Soundkeeper Alliance is, you know, constantly trying to keep tabs on the various places within the sound that are known for uh, massive either rainwater runoff, which is crazy huge in certain areas, like in the Duwamish right into downtown Seattle and Elliott Bay. Um, several Superfund sites right there that continually leach this toxic water into Puget Sound and forever people have just, you know, looked at a body of water that large as, well, how could I possibly affect that? Like everybody's so immersed or surrounded in their own little tiny bubble that what they do when they see the, you know, they do something like, let's say throw a plastic bottle away and it goes away and they never see it again. They just think, oh, well, awesome. Look at this. The world looks exactly the same right here, right now in front of me. Yep. And what they're not seeing is that the collective of 8 billion people doing that is going to start encroaching upon everybody. It already has in a lot of areas, obviously. Uh, and if you if you have never left the United States, which... God, I, my one, I did a research thing a little bit ago and I believe it's oh, like 11% of Americans have a passport or something like that. Something crazy. What? It might be, I'll have to look that up really quick. Well, regardless, I mean, that's not a lot. I mean, obviously that, that that's not a lot of people out, uh, seeing the world, I guess. They, yeah. The, the, you know, and we live in a pretty, yeah. 21.4 million of our 300 million have a passport. What? That's crazy. Wow. I mean, but like uh, 15, 16% means 42% of Americans hold a passport. So that's, that's pretty good actually. But still, I mean, there's, there's still, if you haven't seen the world, you know, or, or pieces of it realize there's serious impacts for, for living a, a, a certain type of lifestyle. Without question. And that's, 
And that's really what I'm getting at is if you only see how a country with as much space as we have to spread out and have, you know, the luxury of, of a yard and, and so on and so forth, and you're not living in a city of 10 million people where everybody is stacked upon each other vertically, as opposed to spreading out, um, all of that waste ends up being collected in a, in a more obvious manner. And you see that when you travel and you see that when you travel to countries that don't have the infrastructure to deal with it well. And sometimes that's just money. They don't have the money to deal with it well. And so it's, it's painfully obvious when you go to say, and I don't, I don't want to point out a country because I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but um, I've been to places where you immediately realize how luxurious we have at the second you're off the airplane and in the airport at some of these places, much less driving through the city. And I just think that as Americans, we should be more cognizant of, and not just Americans, every human on the planet, but we certainly have the ability to be way more cognizant of our footprint day in and day out what we buy, how we buy it, what happens to it, where did it come from? Yeah. And, and I just don't, I still just don't hear enough people talking about that, unfortunately. Yeah. And that, you know, and, and that like, I've, I've been to places too where, and, and again, and not to throw a country under the bus, but you know, in particular, like plastic, for example, like single use plastics. Yeah. I mean, like the, the, like the, they're all, they burn it because they have, they don't have anywhere to put it. Like, so it's at their home and they're burning and like, you just smell it like everywhere. And you're like, this is like a, this amazing landscape. It's beautiful. And I'm smelling burnt plastic everywhere I go. And yeah, black realize, smoke coming out of every chimney. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like, I mean, this, you know, that has obvious health effects, but I mean, it's yeah. just, um, you, you do realize that there are those places or a lot of places where they just don't have a waste management system. And then here we are with a waste management system and everything else. And, and, um, are still, I would say careless with, uh, how we consume, um, to, to a large degree, not everyone, but, uh, I would say as a whole, we we're we're not as concerned with where our waste or, or, or trash yeah. ends up. No, because we got enough space to hide it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. Um, All right. So what are, let's talk about, I'm going to get more specific um, on, on the environmental side of things and and talk a little bit about climate change. Um, Yeah. And so I'll, I'll just start it off by saying like what, what we see in Charleston um, is, the uh, every year it's another record for uh sea level rise for days flooded in charleston mm-hmm. i think tw- 2019 was like 70 something the year before it was like 50 something like every year there's just more and more and more flooding so that's like the the most visible thing that i see um you know what what you're not seeing is what's happening underneath the water with you know ocean acidification and and the ripple effects that, that has um on crustaceans and, and 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 entire food chains but the the most obvious visible thing that i see is sea level rise and i'm curious are, are is there are you seeing things in seattle that are like wow well this is obviously climate change I have seen, we did have some tides this last year that were larger than I thought we could get. I believe we had a couple of tides that pushed 15 feet high. Wow. And previously I had thought that our tides really capped out at like mid 14s. Yeah. So, you know, whether that was that, whether that was to some degree wind driven, but the thing with Puget Sound is, it's protected by the Olympic Peninsula from the ocean. So it's not really the direct ocean tide, even though um, it is obviously connected to it. So I can't believe that wind would drive that uh, to that degree. Well, it's, it's funny that you say that because so, and, and you may already know this, but you know, we, we have 
we have a, a, on average about a five foot tidal swing in Charleston mm-hmm. and full moons and new moons. Uh, we, we get what we call flood tides and they get to swell at about six feet. And that's when we go fish for tail and redfish in the grass. Yep. And this past year was the first year. Um, I have a kayak, so I'd, I'll go paddle out to flats and just walk them. And I'm looking at the tide chart app on my phone and it was noticeably off. And I talked to a lot of other anglers in, in Charleston about it. It was noticeably higher than what the the tide charts were predicting they were going to be like every time you went out or it was like, Oh, it's supposed to be a, you know, a five, nine today. You're like, Oh, that, you know, that's like pretty perfect depending on what flat you're on. And I go to this flat pretty regularly and it was clearly like at a six, three or six, four, like it was (laughs) several inches. Yeah. Right. And you're like, what? Like, this is weird. Like what? I don't, it's not, it's, and it kind of messes up the fishing because right. uh, it's it's pretty perfect when it's you know uh, about up to your mid shin to to your knee and it gets above that and they're tough to find. But um, but anyway, it's it, it, I would say that yeah, I mean you know I thought the same thing. I was like to a degree, was like this could be you know wind pushing the sand, which it, you know it, it could have been, but to happen consistently is weird. Is yeah. is not is not right. Um, yeah. The other thing I would say that, that we're seeing is, you know, our ski seasons, the snow we get in the mountains is just becoming less and less consistent. Uh, we aren't having just blow out huge winters anymore. We'll have, a, we'll have a few storms that really come in and, and drop what ends up being our meager base at the end of the season, but we're going, we're going further and further between having, great ski seasons. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that there's, um, I, I don't see that as, as much obviously in Charleston, but I mean, but, but that's what, um, everyone that I I have, I used to live out West. So I still have a lot of friends that live out there and they're all kind of, you know, saying the same thing. Yeah. You have, you all have like an off, like really crazy good year, but for the most part, it's, it's kind of dwindling. Yeah, we didn't have any. We had one day of like an inch of snow in Seattle this year. That was it. So uh, winter was pretty mild here, and that's it's been. I, I don't know. It's it still jumps around enough, but I think that again, like you said, looking at the tides, and that's that was significant. Uh, seeing a fifteen foot tide. The other was seeing uh is just just paying closer attention being from the ski racing background i'm always watching the you know ski reports it just it's just becoming not a i don't even know how to say it it's just not as consistently great as it can be out here that it used to be yeah uh, obviously little spots of of fantastic conditions but it seems to be broader stretches of of bleakness between those yeah um all right well let's okay so we've talked about some environmental threats that 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 you're seeing we've talked about dams we've talked about uh population talked about climate change um and i think i told you this before the call like i'm in this like 24 7 because it's my business and And even for me, it gets like kind of you kind of club people over the head with it enough, and you know they'll they'll stop they'll they'll tune out. Um, so let's let's talk about something positive. <laughs> let's <laughs> yeah let, 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 let's let's talk something uh, something good. And so uh, because that's the 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 big thing for me is even though there's all this, these crazy things happening, um, that are, you know, potentially detrimental to the, to the environment and therefore our fisheries, which I think, you know, is probably, um, if I had to guess not to put words in your mouth, but probably a, a big reason that you want to protect what you love. And uh, cause that's, that's why I, I started my business, right. You know, you want to protect 
what you love. So, um, but I also see, and it, even though there's all these crazy things happening, I see a ton of good happening. Um, I see a lot of organizations doing great things, a lot of companies, uh, a lot of people, a lot of, not, I mean, there's just, a, there's, a, there's just a lot of good things happening. And, and sure. I, I, I think that um, we lose sight of that sometimes. So um, I wanted to uh, open that up to you and let you, let you run with that and see if there's any sort of success story you, you, you care to share. Yeah, no, I know. I totally agree with you. I think that it's easy to get, you know, stuck in the, the mire, uh, the muck and the mire of, of woe is me, woe is us, woe is our planet. Um, there's too many people fishing and uh, my hole is, you know, my hole now is five people in it. But I totally agree with you. I think that we're not in the minority anymore of, of being outliers talking about this, which is fantastic. And, you know, being a Patagonia ambassador, I think I feel like I'm a little bit in my optic through that company and what that company does kind of puts me front and center of seeing what good is being done. And, you know, and you can, you can look at that at Patagonia, however you like from, product standpoint, whether you like them or not, or politically, whether you like them or not. But at the end of the day, they're putting their energy towards what they believe is best for the planet. And they're, they're just, and this is, oh man, Rick, I have this conversation every day and I try to, I'm still wrestling with how to put this out there to the public in a way that doesn't sound condescending doesn't sound arrogant just sounds very matter of fact there's just not a lot of other companies of that size in our industry doing that period yeah yeah Um, and i we need that we need industry leaders to be willing to put their livelihood their company their brand their people out there for the sake of being leaders what specifically are, are some of the things that, that you see Patagonia doing um, that, that is positive, I guess, and, and moving us in the right direction? Um, I think that them trying to use or reuse product as often as possible in uh, recycling the material that goes into new, you know, new product is, is fantastic idea. There's plenty of freaking nylon and woven fabrics already in existence. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. Right. <laughs> we could blanket the planet probably, you know? Yeah. So, so I think, I think that's, I think that's really good. Um, I don't know how public, I can't remember how public this is, but I believe that Patagonia is trying to get to carbon neutral as a company um, by 2025 or something like that. Yeah. um, That's, I think, again, going back to what I said earlier, that is leading by example. Uh, Amazon is doing, to break out of our industry, Amazon's doing some things, again, regardless of how you feel about them, is spending a lot of money to diminish their footprint through a growing business. Uh, and that, and I just think that that takes a a more altruistic look at business than what a lot of companies are willing to do. And, you know, for my company, I stand very firmly on my opinions and, and my beliefs and how we operate as guides, as a shop, as photographers, as people that handle fish and and so on and so forth. And I get it. There is a fear of saying or doing something that might slight your customer base to a point that you lose a customer. But I stand or I sit here to tell people now what you lose in people that don't believe or see how you have moved forward with your business, you will gain stronger, 
more dedicated, uh, willing to stand shoulder to shoulder with you customers that do believe in how you do business? Well, so, so yeah. And, and I completely agree with you. Um, and that's, it's, it's interesting because that's customer loyalty, brand loyalty, um, is, is another way of, of describing what, or, or saying what you described. And that's something that Patagonia has obviously seen, um, uh, I, I, my clients um, that I work with on, on the sustainability side, that's something that they have, we actually measure that. And I mean, that's across the board that happens when you stand up for something as a brand, you might alienate some people, yeah. but what you get in return is fiercely loyal customers. And they are going to, not only, you know, stand, stand by your brand, but what, what we see is they actually start to, they, they increase the amount that they spend with you. So they're not just going to buy one hat. They're going to buy a shirt and a hat because they believe in what your brand stands for. Right. And so it's just good business, frankly, um, totally. to, it, it's just, it's just a better way of your, you're, you're standing up for something you're caring in, in Patagonia's case, the environment, and if you also care about those things, then you, myself included, you have a fiercely loyal customer. So question for you, have you ever seen Simon Simonek's The Golden Circle TED Talk? I know who Simon Simonek is, but I have not seen The Golden Circle. You need to go watch that. Okay. Because it, it goes straight to the core of what we're talking about. And it's about doing business in a manner from the inside out take what's in your, what's in your soul, what you truly believe in and do business from there outward so that everything that you're, I'm reiterating or uh, paraphrasing what he said, but everything that you do, you do because you a hundred percent believe in it and you do it passionately. There's just, we're, we're in a passionate sport anyway. Right. And there's absolutely no way that if you are passionate about how you are running your business within this industry, that there aren't going to be like-minded individuals that are going to, like you said, become fiercely loyal. And that couldn't be more prevalent right now at this very time while we're doing this podcast than with COVID around. Yeah. Because we're seeing people coming out of the woodwork to make sure that we survive this. That's we got awesome. zero funding from any of the federal or local grants or government, government loans. We got zero of it. And I, I'm not projecting that as a woe is me as much as the numbers that are getting thrown around on the news are just not going to drivel down to everybody. Not everybody is going to get money. And so if you're relying on people to make sure that you're around then in times like this, then you've got to be treating them, providing them a service that they feel is invaluable to their happiness in their life when things are normal. And if you've done a good job of that, which typically comes from doing things with your heart and your soul, you're going to be in good shape. Yep. Period. <clears throat> that's amazing. Um, or, and yeah, I, I just, I, I think that's, that's incredible that, that y'all are, and, and y'all are seeing that. I mean, your, your yep. customers are, are coming, reaching out to you because they don't want to see enrolled watered anglers with their, with their doors closed when things are back to normal. As a fly shop. So like, like we said earlier, I wear early on, I wear a bunch of different hats, but as a fly shop, you know, every day people come in that have traveled around and have been in various shops around the country and, and so on and so forth. And I was just, we still have this conversation about fly shops. And I just, I honestly, I just don't understand how this still exists, but a fly shop isn't, it should be looked at as like a public library almost. You possess 
a vast amount of information. And while you need to purvey things for money in order to keep your doors open, you shouldn't hold that information above people's heads as if you're holier than thou. Like, can you imagine going in and asking the librarian at a, at a library? So I was told I needed a book on, you know, from, uh, you just go in and you ask for the most mundane book and she just looks down her nose at you and says, really, you, that you're going to read that. Oh my God. Okay. Well, I'm not going to tell you where it is. You go find it. Right. You know, and I'm, that's, and I feel like that, that mentality kind of still exists in, in some fly shops. And it, we've always, with all the water we have around here, we have always been absolutely out front of helping every, our job is to help people be successful. That's, that's literally, that's our job. That's what we're there for. And so helping people figure out where to go because there's 65 different rivers within two hours of Seattle that they could go fish. Some are worthless. Some are closed. Some, you know, for whatever reason, aren't, this isn't the time of year for them and so on. You know, our job is to help them go out and have that success and just be candid about it. Yeah be excited to share that information with them because then that excitement again coming from your from your heart and your soul to your customer creates that fierce loyalty when they go out have that success they're like that's my shop that's the only place i'm going and like i said earlier because of my beliefs because of some of the things that i say and i do and my willingness to to be the tip of the spear on certain on certain topics around here there's people in Seattle that have never come to my store and probably never will. Um, and that's fine. That's, that's their choice. I don't slant them for that, but I'm not willing to diminish my potency and what I'm trying to do and why I'm trying to do it in order to hopefully have them step in and buy a dozen flies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, I think that, I've experienced that type of attitude in a fly shop. (laughs) (laughs) And when I was first getting into fly fishing and it really, it's like, it's almost to where you're like, well, I don't even know if I really want to get into this because (sighs) I I, I can't go like, you know, I'm basically going to get made fun of every time I walk in the store because I'm asking just total noob questions because I don't know. Right. I was, so I was talking to somebody else in our industry a day or two ago. And when he hears this, he'll know that, uh, that I'm talking about him. And he said that his least favorite thing to do in our sport is to walk into a fly shop. Uh, Yeah. And I almost, I, I wanted to cry. I was like, are you kidding me? We're supposed to be a toy store. How many kids, you know, how many of your kids are always reticent to walk into a toy store. Right. Like what? Where in the, pardon my German, where the fuck did we go wrong with that? <laughs> I mean, it, it really, it, it's, I, 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 I would say the majority of, of shops are like that. I hate to say that. I really do. Like, I, I don't want to say that, but it's just, it's like kind of mind blowing. You're like, what? Like, I'm trying to come in here and learn something about a sport or I'm trying to come in and support your business. And, and you're like talking down to me about it and like rolling your eyes. It's crazy. It's crazy. I don't want to veer off. I want to just spend one smidge more time on this because you've got this huge platform. And I think people, I don't know if this gets said that much and certainly not from other shop owners and so on, but I'm going to put it out there. Here's the tip of the spear for you again. Okay. <laughs> um, during this COVID thing, uh, same, same person and I were chatting about this. And as an ambassador, I feel like it's my duty to try to reach out and, and throw life rings to people that have hands up and that are willing to ask for them. Okay. And I, and that, and that even means other shops that, you know, that have the courage to do that because there's definitely going to be there's there. I know there's people in, in desperate situations right now. I know it. I know there are. And it 
so at, at that, you know, industry ambassador level, I, I feel like that's an obligation that, you know, brands have asked me to represent them would want me to be saying and doing, and I, and I would do it, Rick, I, I would do it in a heartbeat if anybody actually reached out. And I even threw that out there on my couple of my channels earlier when this first started. But, and here's the tip of the spear. This might be a cleansing that this industry needs a little bit. Yeah. Because I'm kind of tired of having to recoup and, and make up for those that are in the sport for the wrong reasons because it's the cool thing or that or whatever. And don't treat each and every one of their interactions with a customer as the opportunity to imprint on that person why this sport is so incredible. And while we call it fly fishing, it really is, like we said earlier, all of the things that surround the experience of going and catching a fish or not catching a fish. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, if you're if you're if you're in it just for the fish, you're you're completely missing the point. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, so, all right, I'm done. That's that's it. We can leave that if you want. <laughs> well, no, I think I think it's you know, I mean, this is what we're here. You know, we're just the I, I intentionally don't um, do a ton of or really any prep. Um, and the reason for that is I think it becomes more conversational and this is a good example of, of that. We'll, we'll just let the conversation take it where, where it wants to go. Um, and so that's a, that's a good point. And that's something that, you know, is part of, um, this, I I don't know what the right word is, I guess, stigma around fly fishing. And I think it keeps a lot of people away, um, that my, my, I guess my point is, the more fly anglers we have, the more people are are going to be out there protecting what they love because yeah. you can't not get into this sport and also learn about the environment and learn about the, the, the impacts and the threats to the, to the fish and want to protect them because you love the fish. Um, you just, it's just a natural you know, how, what other sport are you get, getting a, a degree in entomology? You know, right. <laughs> I mean, that's such a weird thing to even know about, um, but a cool thing. Uh, and so you start to learn and, and discover uh, things about the river and things about nature that you wouldn't otherwise. And you, I think, naturally gravitate towards protecting it. So the more well, people... But that's what I mean by imprinting, Rick. I I wholeheartedly agree. But it means that the person, when when that first when that first interaction in the sport happens, the person, and and sometimes it's a grandfather, a dad, a mom, a sister, whoever's whoever's that sort of key holder, um, first introduction, you know, introductory person to the sport to somebody. If their, you know, if their mantra within the sport is, you know, up the earliest, catch the most, catch the biggest, yeah, you know, it's, you know, everything's result, 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 whether you like it or not, that sticks with people for a long time to a point where they may never fully lose it. Yeah. And so that's where I come back to that idea of at a shop, as a guide service, as a photographer, as, you know, all these other things that I do, you have to treat that first interaction a little bit like the a first date with someone that might be your husband or your wife. Be yeah. really thoughtful about how you present the sport and what it means and what, what depth and capabilities it has to really entrench itself in your soul. And if you can, if you can, have everybody doing that as a representative of the sport to the public, then I hundred percent agree. You have created a legitimate steward every time somebody new picks up a fly rod. Yeah. Yeah. Steward. That's the better word for it. <laughs> um, but, it, but yeah, I, 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 I 100% agree too. Um, Unfortunately we're not there. 
<laughs> well, hey, look, maybe someone will hear this and uh, maybe maybe they'll think a little bit more thoughtfully about what what they're doing. Uh, it'll be three less people that come into my store. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, well, well. I want to I want to ask you this, Dave, uh, yeah. because I was on your website and I see that you have uh, an environment and sustainability section. <laughs> yes. And I want to talk more about that because first off, a lot of people or a lot of shops or companies in general don't have that insect, don't have that section on their site where they're saying, Hey, we care about the environment. We're doing what we can. And I wanted to learn a little bit more about what uh, your shop is doing um, on for, for, for the environment. Uh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, we are so let, a little bit of background on that. When I started to get the idea that I was going to potentially go down this, this road and God, if people are listening and they think they want to do it, think, think long and hard before you do this. Um, I read Yvonne Chouinard's Let My People Go Surfing and similar Similar to Simon Simonek's Golden Circle TED Talk, the, you just do things for the right reasons, right? And so I just, in, I just when we opened the store, that was that was from the beginning. That was what I set out to do. I wanted to create community. I wanted to be a place where people felt comfortable. Um, you could ask any and all questions. None were ever treated as dumb. And part of that was, you know, obviously we're relying upon our watersheds and our environment for our livelihood. And, you know, early the easiest, lowest hanging fruit was just to eradicate plastic bottle, water bottle use on our guide trips. And, and then working with Patagonia and Costa and some of the other brands, Fish Pond, that are being environmentally conscientious in how they uh, create their goods, what their goods are made out of, and how they get them to you and so on. Um, we, I just decided that we're going to take the shop and our guide service carbon neutral this year. That's awesome. And so I've been going through the, you know, ticking off all the boxes of figuring out, you know, what are, what are our electrical uh, emissions, uh, what are our tailpipe emissions, and what are the emissions that are embedded in the uh, products that we sell. And, and part of the reason I want to do this is, number one, it's the right thing to do. We have the ability to do this now. Um, number two is I want to show other shops and other small businesses like ours in the, in the country and in the world, how easy this actually is, uh, offsetting my, what was going to be offsetting my flight to and from the Seychelles was going to cost $19. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, just in case anyone doesn't know this, that's a super long flight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So like, and, and so offsetting that as well as our, all of our clients travels, it was going to, it was going to cost like $150 to offset that entire trip. And I would kind of put this back on you a little bit because you're the expert in this, Rick, but explain what that offset is really doing and some of the variabilities out there that exist for, for doing it. Yeah. So, so a couple of things. So um, if anyone's listening to this, I have a sustainable, if you didn't know this, I have a sustainable business consultancy and my company is also carbon neutral. So um, emerger strategies and I work with other people to do this. So, that being said, the, the basic steps are creating a baseline. Okay, so what is, and, and these are just good questions to ask as a business, period, right? And that goes back to um, 
but it sounds like, you know, I, I was influenced very much by let my people go surfing. Um, probably the book that made me want to pursue a, 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 a career in sustainable business. Um, I'm glad <laughs> to hear you say that. Cause when I say that to people, I get the weirdest looks on my face and I, I literally have given my book to like 20 people to read so that they can better understand it. But I, 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 I actually give that book to every new client that I bring on. And I'm yep. like, and I'm like, look, this, if you're, you need to understand where we're going with this, but, and what I think that they have that book and Yvonne and, and Patagonia has, has done so well is just ask questions. Yep. And, and, and this is part of it, right? It's, well, what is our impact? I have no idea. Well, how do we measure it? Well, a good place to start is your carbon footprint. And that's what you have to do. So you have to create um, organizational boundaries, um, operational boundaries. There's several different um, scopes. There's really three scopes of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, there's like company owned, you could say, is direct emissions. That's scope one. Uh, scope two is looking basically at your purchased electricity. And then scope three is your upstream and downstream supply chain, um, more or less. <clears throat> and that can include things like you mentioned, business travel, purchase goods and services, th things of that nature, um, all the way to the end of life of, uh, of the product. Yep. <clears throat> so you're looking at three scopes. You create your, your baseline and once you have your base on, then you know how much you need to offset. But before you offset, you should also do everything that you can from an energy conservation perspective, because that's actually reducing your demand for energy. Right. And most of our energy comes from fossil fuel, like coal. So Dave's done what you're supposed to do. That's the correct methodology is to come in and do everything you can from an energy conservation perspective. If you're a shop owner and you're saying, well, we don't own the building, we lease the building. What can I do? Well, you can still put in led bulbs in your shop, right? I mean, you can still do an led upgrade, which is going to reduce your, de your demand. You may not get a lead certified, but you can still take steps. You can weatherize your doors and windows, easy, easy simple things that you can do. Um, and because if you don't own the building, solar or renewable energy might not be a good option, might not be affordable, um, you know, whatever the case, no big deal. Your next step is then to look at offsets. When you're choosing offsets, you have to be careful which offsets you're choosing um, because they're not all created. Um, and, and, and the way that you do that is to verify that they have, um, that they're not, that they're retired once they're, they're purchased. I think that makes sense. I think that's probably yeah, that, yeah, that, that helps. That even helped me. Um, the uh, the thing we have the opportunity to do out here with our electricity is we can choose to glean our electricity from the grid from renewable resources, which is nice. And that yeah. helps. Too. Absolutely, yeah, and 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 a lot of um, check with your energy providers uh, because if you're a business owner. A lot of energy providers will come and conduct a free energy audit. Um, so you can check with whoever you're, you purchase your uh, electricity from. If you're a business, a lot of them offer free energy audits. Then they're going to make recommendations on the energy conservation side of things. You can purchase renewable energy uh, through your energy provider. That's another great way to do it. And then... Um, I guess it, it ultimately your last resort is to offset. And in my case, um, and in Dave's case, I, I, we've done, I did everything that I could and what I could afford to do to, well, from an energy conservation perspective and, you know, and, and being conscious of the products that I buy. If I, um, if I upgrade to a, you know, a, a, a new printer, I make sure that they're energy star certified, just things like that, that um, start to, to add up. And it's easy. It's it's really not that hard. And Dave, I'll, I'll let you speak to that. But I mean, you, you you had said earlier. You know, I mean, you went in and offset your your flight like it was no big deal. It was twenty bucks. Yep. Um, so the, the, it's affordable. I guess is is ultimately what I'm getting at. The the so correct me if I'm wrong on this too, Rick. So the the 
the deal here is, is that because the offset thing is still foreign language to the bulk of people out there, um, there's not an overwhelming number of opportunities for it right now, but it's growing, correct? Yeah, that's right. And and you're going to, and that's going to be a whole, in my opinion, that's going to be a whole new, I guess opportunity is probably the best way to describe yeah. it. And that, it, it is you're going to see different businesses start to pop up and grow that are in the businesses of selling offsets and, right. um, and which is cool. Yeah. You we totally want that. So and by, by doing this, you're creating the demand that's going to put those businesses in a position to form and be in play. Exactly. So it's, it's kind of the, I don't know. Uh, well, it's it's capitalism. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is in in a in a very green form. But you know, we're creating demand for something by more of us doing it, which is the one of the purposes that I want to do it. Outside of it's the right thing to do, and I've got a daughter that I like you that I want to have grow up and and be afforded all the opportunities that I've had growing up. Um, I also want to be able to use this, like I said earlier, as a conversation piece with each and every person that I'm on the water with or at a gathering or a party with, or that I run into at the coffee shop. I want to be able to tell people this so that I can, I can be fluid in this language and in a way where it inspires those people to leave and, and be thoughtful about, huh, I wonder, maybe I can do that for me just personally. Maybe I can do that for my house. Maybe, you know, and help create that demand at, like everybody else in this industry is used to doing at a very grassroots, organic level. One, one v one. Everything's yep. there. Yeah. And, 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 and you said something that I think a lot of people misunderstand about climate change. Um, and the economy. And I want to make this point because I think it's super important. Um, climate change is the greatest, I'm going to say it, is the greatest economic opportunity of the 21st century. Um, a lot of good can come from solving climate change. We could rethink and recreate um, our economy in a sustainable way that is more thoughtful and um, is better for the planet. And it's uh, it, 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 what we're seeing is that it's good for business too. Yep. Um, no, there's jobs to be made here that created here. There's, there's, uh, I mean, it, it is, it's, it's literally, it's capitalism, but with the planet in mind as opposed to the opposite. Um, we just, it just requires larger groups of people embracing the idea and starting to shift their train of thought and their money in that direction. And yeah. that's my hope. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think, it, I think that that, uh, transition has, has started. And, um, I think that people are, are, are aware of, of what's happening. And then as you're seeing, and, and as a lot of uh, companies are, and brands are seeing is that once you take that leap and, and make your voice known and take that stand uh, that it ultimately is uh, just good business decision. It is. And you know, again, Rick, I can't say this enough. Do it because you know, it's the right thing to do. And, don't dip your toe in it. Jump in with both feet. Like, yep. Do this with conviction and you will be, it'll be that much easier of a conversation to have with every single person that asks you about it going forward. If you're just going to dabble in it because it's kind of a, a buzzword going around right now, people are going to see through it. Yeah. It, it, it's, and you're not doing anything positive. 
period. All right. Well, I mean, that, that it, it, you're exactly right. Um, you either have to believe in it or not. And if you don't, that's okay. Maybe that's not for you, but um, it doesn't do anybody any good to, to I guess, what, what we would call greenwash um, and fake it just because it's, it's, it's a buzzword. I think you have to be authentic and, and do it with real intent for it yep. uh, to, to, to work. Kind of like life is as, as <laughs> yeah. Out. yeah. It's better to just live your life that way as opposed to faking it. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, I think that's probably an awesome note to wrap with. I do too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll um, I, thank you, Dave. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. Uh, Special thanks to Dave McCoy of Emerald Water Anglers. Um, And also, if you like what you're hearing, um, helps us out a lot if you give us a rating and review on iTunes. So sure would appreciate it. And stay tuned for um, a big release regarding the Climate Alliance members in the next uh, week or so. Cheers. Cheers.